So turn to Romans chapter 8 in preparation, or chapter 9, sorry, for this question. So go ahead, Sister Ramona, what is the question? I wanted to know why the Jews were circumcised and the Gentiles were not. Okay, so why were the Jews circumcised and the Gentiles were not? That's actually a very good question. Um, the the simple answer is this, that God created a covenant sign between the Jews and himself wherein they would look and be different in every way from the countries or the other nations that were around them. And so in this, and why why he chose that, we have no, we have no knowledge. I mean, I'm sure he could have come up, he's God, he could have come up with any number of things uh, in, in regards to how they would be identified. But if you remember in the New Testament, in fact, hold your place in Romans chapter 9 and go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And somebody read verse 9 for us. We are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, thank you. So we are to be a peculiar people. Peter is speaking here to the Jews or to, to the the Christians who have gone through the dispersion. These would have been predominantly Jews. Um, who would have been scattered throughout Asia Minor. So the area that we've been looking at, for example, uh, in, in the churches of, uh, of, of Asia Minor, which is Ephesus, Sardis, Philadelphia, those ones, this area would have been further south. So this would have been more in the area of where Greece is at now versus where Turkey is. And so these churches have been, they're, they're going through a great time of intense persecution. And so Peter is addressing them and reminding them that they are supposed to be different, very different. Okay, now we looked this morning that we are called to be salt and light, Matthew chapter 5, and so that they by their by your good works will glorify your Father who is in heaven. So when the Jews were went through the, the process of circumcision, which was done on the eighth day, there was medical reasons for why it was done, God knowing all things and, and being who he is, established that, and one of the things is that the eighth day for a male child has the highest level of vitamin K that is ever produced in the body, which means better blood clotting um, and to, to, to keep the child from actually bleeding out. So eighth day is always the, the most optimal day, and of course God knows that. Um, but the reason that it was done um, was again so that there would be a covenant sign no matter where they went, where they went people would be able to identify them as being Jewish, as being of the Israelite nation. Now we come to the New Testament. We have, in the Old Testament, we have the covenant that was established by God, whether it was through uh, Abraham or whether it was through the law of Moses, um, that was established. But now, of course, God has written the the law of God on what? Our hearts. So we are to be circumcised, or we are to be, uh, the, 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 as, as Paul wrote to both the Romans as well as to the Galatians, that this, this symbol, if you will, is to be removed 
because of the deadness of the heart. And of course, God can only change, God alone can change the heart. We know this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So the Gentiles were not under those, those restrictions. They weren't even under the restrictions of the law because the law was not written for them. It was written for the Jews. This is what we find in Romans chapter 2 and chapter 3. And the problem was that the Jews, they were saying, in fact, go, go there. Let's go back to Romans. Romans chapter 1. And God is, is, is speaking through Paul and he is talking about the unrighteousness. And we talk about all these bad things uh, that are going on. And in verse 28, chapter 1, he says, They did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And so he goes down through all of this list, the foolish, the faithless, the heartless, the ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree in verse 32, those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So Paul is writing to a group of of, of of believers who know Roman law. And so then he begins in verse in verse 2, because in, of course in the beginning there were no chapter and verse divisions. And so he is writing here and he is saying, the wrath of God abides on these people. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Well, who was it that was judging? The Jews were. We had the prophets, we had the kings, we had this, we had that, we had the scriptures, we had all of these things. You guys didn't. And so he is saying, because you had the law, and here's the problem, you're still without excuse because you're not even following the law. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, oh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were, they were all religious fanatics but had no true love for God. I mean, this is what uh, Brother Diego was mentioning when he was talking about, uh, well, yesterday in the men's breakfast, and, and he said, there are some who the Lord Jesus Christ is going to say, you saw me hungry, you didn't feed me. You saw me thirsty, you didn't, you didn't give me water to drink. And going down this list, because the works that they were doing were being done to be seen of men, not to be seen of God. And so everything that they did, for example, does anybody know what was worn around the bottom of the garments, if you were a Jew? No. Yeah, well, this was the priest, but there was something... There, there was something that they wore. You'll still see them wear it today. It's a blue band. The blue band. So the Pharisees would wear one that was two to three times as big, just to make sure that everybody knew. Uh, when, when they would go into the into the temple and they would give money, the the Pharisees would wave theirs around so that everybody knew, "Hey, I'm given a tenth." They would say, as Jesus, as Jesus. Uh, 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 gets onto them and he says you tithe of mint and, and, and cumin uh, and, and you tithe of all of these things what they were doing was they were counting them out that's one seed for God, nine for me one seed for God, nine for me and it became really pedantic it, it came to a point where, uh, where the, the, the Pharisees were simply doing these things again not for the purposes of even pleasing God it was because they thought that it would somehow merit them more grace. 
And so when we find throughout the book of Romans, you get to chapter 3, for example. Well, he says in verse 6, chapter 2, he will render to each one according to his works. So what he does in the first three chapters, he not only tears down the heathen and their dependence on the gods and, and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, whatever it is that they want to do, but then he also gets onto those who were trusting in their own religious merit and he continues in chapter 3 by saying this, what advantage then has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? He reminds them, the Jews had everything. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Verse 3, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means let God be true and everyone a liar. So he continues in it later on in chapter 3, look at verse 10, and he says, what then are the Jews any better off because they had all of these things, because they had the scriptures, because they had the prophets, be, be, because they had the visions and the dreams from God, from, from men in their distant past, like, like Joseph, who was an interpreter of dreams, or Daniel? He says, no, none is righteous, no, not one. And there he shuts down the arguments. He says, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you have circumcision, no circumcision, whether you eat a bologna sandwich or don't eat a bologna sandwich. It doesn't matter what it is that you're trying to do. None stand righteous before God. Why? There's no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. If there's something that you find in Scripture, it's important. But if it's repeated, it's a double Phrase, that's exactly what we have here. No, not one. In verse 10, he says it again. Verse 11, and then in, or in verse 12. And then he defines them. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They're in their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no what? Fear of God before their eyes. So then you come to the church at Galatia. And this is a little bit later on in Paul's ministry. And the Galatian church, they were insisting that the, that the true believers had to actually follow all the laws of Moses. The, the males had to be circumcised. You couldn't eat this. You couldn't eat that. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. And Paul says, no, wait a minute. You have been freed from that taskmaster. You couldn't follow it before, so why are you putting this burden on these new believers who were not Jews to begin with? Many of them were Gentiles. Because the law of God, again, was not for the purpose of bringing man to God. It was showing man how far separated he was from God. This is why we have Romans. This is why we have the book of Galatians. And the encouragement that while the, the law was a schoolmaster to point us to Christ, it really didn't do a very good job. It was an imperfect, if you will, it was, it was an imperfect means to be able to show one thing. God's holiness, you haven't attained it, and neither have I. This is why even Martin Luther later on wrote, the just shall live by faith. And that's what made the difference in his understanding at the beginning of the Reformation. Because the just shall live by faith, you couldn't do it by works. Martin Luther, for the first period of time that he was in ministry as a Roman Catholic, was doing everything he could to make sure that he was trying to merit grace from God. 
This is why the Catholic system is so, I use the word nefarious. Because if, if they can get you thinking that you have to do all of these things, for example, if you're in service and the priest calls down the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and offers it to you and you do not partake of it as a good Catholic, you don't receive salvation that week. That's how desperate it is. So they continue to trap you by this fear. Do you know that there are seven sacraments within the Roman Catholic Church? Do you know how many you have to keep to be able to go straight to heaven? All seven. Two of them are, two of the rites are, the pre, or the sacraments are the priesthood and marriage. Anybody see a problem? Yeah. How many Roman Catholic priests do you know are married? None of them, not even the Pope. Which is why we shared a couple of weeks ago when John Paul II even died. I mean, everybody thought, oh yeah, the great guy, he's going right to heaven. Same thing with Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa did not have her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when, when John Paul II died, Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedictus XVI, actually made the comment and prayed in his funeral homily that let us pray as worldwide as a church that God would release our dearly departed brother and father from the fires of purgatory into his welcoming arms in heaven. Not even the Pope had the ability to go to heaven according to the Catholic system. So when somebody goes to, to church, uh, ask, the, ask the average Catholic what they believe. They have no clue. Oh yeah, I know. My, my aunt's Catholic and you ask her, she's like, well, I don't know. They, they don't know. As long as they do, 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 and don't, 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 they merit more grace, which is why Martin Luther got so upset when the indulgences were being offered by the Catholic Church because they were paying for indulgences. They were paying for masses to be said, and, and they said that every time a, how did he put it, Tetzel said every time a coin in the, in the, in the coffer rings a soul from Purgatory Springs. They couldn't tell you how much it cost. They couldn't tell you how long it would take. But as long as you kept giving to the Catholic Church, some poor soul is being released from Purgatory. Which is why they were able to make so much money. When they went to South America and Central America, all of those great big... We've been watching a, a, a young lady who rides around on a motorcycle and she's gone all over the world. Some of the poorest, dirt poor villages that she has been in, and yet they have these churches that are filled with, that are encrusted with gold and precious jewels down there, and the people have absolutely nothing. The Catholic Church didn't care about them. They came in and said, you're going to, get, you're, you're going to be a Christian at the point of a sword. We don't care who you worship or what God you worship during the week, as long as you come and you give to the church on Sunday. And they use that same fear today. If you take somebody who's in the LDS church, they, they, they keep their people by fear. Because if my son doesn't go on a mission trip, but your son does go on a mission trip, you're on a higher rung to heaven than what I am. I think that's all the cults and sure. religions out there. Is they use fear like the Muslims or they use fear to get you to Stop even even the Muslims don't have a sure path to heaven. They have no hope. That their their God is a God of wrath only. 
He's not a God of love. Their God has never sent somebody to earth, has never sent his son to earth to be able to atone for the sins of mankind. You can work towards that end. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe that he was a prophet. Some even believe that he was a good prophet. But what they don't believe is that he was Savior. They don't believe that he actually died on the cross. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, I believe the Muslims believe that, that Jesus was removed and that it was actually Judas that died on the cross on, in his stead. Because they find the cross to be offensive. Just like LDS, if you go down here Four Mile Road and look at the look at the LDS uh, stake as they go by, it's called a stake for a reason. If you look up on the steeple, there's no cross. The cross is offensive to the LDS church. Why? Because they don't believe number one that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. They don't believe that He actually died on the cross to be able to atone for man for the sins of mankind. Jesus looks over to Joseph Smith to make sure it's okay with Joseph Smith, according to them. Yep. Man-made religion, totally. Yes. Yep. All the every religion is like that. So does that answer your question? Thank you, Trenton. Uh, You're welcome. So in regards to that, it's First Corinthians 19, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Yep. You can't have salvation, true salvation, without the cross. Hebrews makes it clear, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Any other questions or... Yep, thank you. Why is what? So that that is that is really a, a medical. More times than not, it's a medical reason for why it's being done. Um, there there is it's it's certainly not. There are some who still do it for religious purposes, like the the Jews, uh, the Hasidic Jews. Um, they still practice it. It's still done with a knife in the synagogue by the rabbi. Um, even though he's not medically trained. I mean, it's been going on for, for centuries like that. Um, but there, there is no religious significance to it anymore um, because it's just not, uh, it's not something that God requires because what he does is he changes our hearts. It's not what's on the external, it's what's internal. Um, some, some do. It's, it's not, uh, the, the Catholic Church does not, it's not something that they openly endorse or push anymore. Anymore? Yeah, they used to. Yeah, when, I, when I was born, every, yeah. you know, everybody in the, every male in the Catholic Church. Yeah. But again, anytime you start adding to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ by things that you do externally, if it's not a change that's within the heart, it's not any good. That's what Galatians was all about. That's, that's why infant baptism is absolutely wrong. It's yes. Totally and, wrong. and see, that, that is where, I mean, and, the, and don't get me wrong, I believe that there are some very godly men and women who are 
who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are to be found within the Presbyterian Church. But the problem is when you take the covenant of Old Testament Israel and convert that and make Israel the same as the church, then you have to find ways to make that connection. And they do that through the covenant of baptism or the, 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 the covenant of the, the circumcision. They now baptize. Of course, they don't ba- baptize just babies. They baptize, or male babies, they baptize females as well. Um, so in the New Testament, Paul did not was not, Paul was the one that the mystery of the church was revealed to in, in the book of Ephesians, um, and of course the church didn't start until the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was empowered by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But what we find is that there are some, and it's actually termed replacement theology. Um, and replacement theology says that all of the benefits that pertain to Israel in the Old Testament now pertain to the church in the New, um, including some go so far as to say even the physical um, or the land blessings that were given to, to Israel. For example, you can go into most churches, even in Baptist churches, and on like July the 4th Sundays, you'll hear most pulpits will be preaching on Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven, turn from my wicked ways, and heal their land. And they apply that to us. That has nothing to do with us. That was a blessing that was given to Israel alone, not to the church. Because we find from the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he say? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Now, in the Old Testament, what happens when there was judgment or drought from God? What happened during the days of Elijah? Didn't rain for three and a half years. Everybody suffered in the land of Israel. You also have the division when you get down into the land of Goshen when Israel is still down there as slaves and God said the judgment is coming and at the third, is it the third or the fourth one where the, the, the judgment ceased falling on Israel and they only fell on Egypt? And the last six or seven um, uh, plagues that hit Egypt hit Egypt only, not Israel. Any other questions? Trenton. Yes. Um, and then it talks about the law and sin, which explains the whole idea behind why the law was given mm-hmm. and work uh, being out from under it as the church now is compared to. And, and, and chapter, seven? chapter 7. Yeah, Paul says, apart from the law, I didn't know. So the law was, the law was there, but. And again, we have stated this in the past. No society has ever evolved to the point where they have developed a set of absolutes or morals. The reason why you have people who live in a Stone Age existence who do not worship God, who who are out there, for example, the cannibals or the headhunters in Papua New Guinea, there was the reason why they're in that state is because somewhere, great, 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 whatever, failed to pass the message on. 
when everybody came off the ark with Noah and his, and his sons, they worshipped. And somewhere somebody forgot or somebody deliberately refused to pass on the message of God's redemption and the fact that there is a sin to be accounted for and that judgment is coming. You go into a Stone Age existence, and we've got books in our library for, from, from various missionaries. You go over to those countries, they live in mortal fear. They don't live happy lives. They're, they're, they're afraid. They're, they're afraid whether it's of the next tribe over, or they're afraid of, of being eaten, or they're afraid of whatever it may be. And there's still cannibalism that goes on around the world. They're afraid of the spirits. They're afraid of the spirits. Why would they be afraid of the spirits? Now, you know, you talk about, I mean, you go to some of those countries and, and you find the hill that we lived on in Liberia was known as Spirit Hill or Devil Hill. And it was because before the missionary came in the 1960s, they actually worshipped and sacrificed to the demons and to the devil on that hill. And it was given to the missionary when he came into town. There's still very much a demonic presence that is found. And I believe that that demonic presence is still found here, even in America. The problem is that we are so inundated with media, with, with, with entertainment, with whatever, that we just don't often see. I mean, who do you think it is that's blinding the hearts and minds? What does the scripture say? Who's blinding the hearts and minds of people when they hear the gospel? Satan. We, we, can, we can stand and, and, and our teachers can teach the gospel every single Sunday. We can stand up and we can proclaim the gospel every single Sunday. And why is it that people don't, don't, don't acknowledge Christ? Why don't they come to faith in him? Blinded by Satan. They're blinded because they're, they're content in their sin. They, 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 want to, they continue to quench the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people think they're just all-around good people. They're good moral people. People don't turn to faith is because of their sin. I can't remember what they've done for used. But they don't want to be accountable for the wrongdoing that they do. Sure. Well, well, there there are a lot of people that you can ask. Are are you ask them by what standard they think they're good, and that will tell you everything you need to know about their spiritual well being. If you think that you are good based on the standard that you you have established, because I'm not as bad as Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, whoever it may be, you've got the wrong standard because the standard is not you compared to somebody else. It's you compared to God. When we stand before God, we won't stand there and be able to point a finger and say, well, he was worse than me. If a person, yes, but if a person has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they stand forgiven at the cross when they come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Paul could say there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the operative phrase in there, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not to everybody. Because if, if there was no condemnation to everybody, would God be a righteous God and a fair God if he allowed sin sinful people into his heaven no so we either are clothed in our own righteousness which means we will have to spend eternity in hell or we're clothed in the righteousness of jesus christ 
And if we're clothed, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that's the way God sees us. He sees us as clean. He sees us as no longer separated. We have been justified. The account has been cleared. There's nothing held over us anymore. Now there's a, a big red zero paid in full. You know, if I was God, I could probably answer that question a lot better. <laughs> so, for, first, first of all, we, I believe that it's important for us to understand who does the saving. God does the saving. And why is it that God does the saving? Simply, as Ephesians 1 says, for his own, for the praise of his own glory. If, if we think that God saves us because of something that he sees in us or something that, that we think he just has to have from us, that means he's not God. God, God does not accept us based on anything that we, uh, he sees in us, anything that we might do, because uh, we, we mentioned this the other day. Uh, 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 um, Moses, when he's in the wilderness, and he puts his hand into his bosom, and he pulls it out, and it's leprous. Was was the leprous hand something special? No. When he cast the, the stick down and it becomes a serpent, was the potential in the stick? No. The potential was in who, or who, who had the only potential there? Did Moses have the ability to do that apart from God? No. It was only done by God. God had the ability to do that. And of course we find the, the, the magicians, they try to copy and they were able to copy some of the first ones. That must have really annoyed Pharaoh. I like, really like that story. But, but he, he creates or they create or, or, or uh, Moses calls up frogs and they create more frogs. You know, and, and then uh, the snakes and they cast their, their sticks down. They become snakes and of course Moses or Aaron's uh, rod does what? Swallows up all the other snakes. So, uh, but why does God save? Ultimately, if it's nothing in me, it has to be solely because of what he chooses. And the question then becomes, and, and there's a fine line between, let me write this down. There's a fine line that we have to understand between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. Our problem is that when we look at what the Bible has to say in regards to salvation, we tend to focus not from God's perspective, we focus from man's perspective. And so we begin asking the question, well, what about all those poor people in India? Or in Africa? Or what about even those here in the USA who have never heard? I mean, is that really fair for God to send them to hell? And the question that we should be asking is not, why are these people not saved? The question is, why does God save anybody? And if God saves whom he will, then the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does he then require from us? Is it up to us how many people are going to be in heaven? No. no. Who is it up to? God. So we can't look at, the, we can't look at this from our perspective and say, well, it, it's like on 9-11. 
There were 50,000 people that were working in each one of those towers on a normal day. That's 100,000 people, and yet only 2,900 people died that day. I would say that that's very gracious, merciful of God in his providence that there were only that many people who died. So then we begin to question, well, well, if I get to heaven and, and my kids aren't there or my parents aren't there or my grandparents or whoever it may be, if they're not there, then I'm going to be able to point my finger at God and blame him because they're not saved. I think once you get to heaven, I, don't, I would think you would forget about that because you're just glad to be there. I, I look at it as if my family's not there, that was on them. That, that's human responsibility. Absolutely. It was, and I don't, I don't remember, Dad, you may remember which, it was a Methodist circuit writing preacher, I believe, that made the comment years ago, there are three things that are going to amaze me when I get to heaven. Um, one is that uh, there are some people that I thought were going to be there who aren't there. There are some who I thought would be there, or some who I didn't think were going to be there, who are there. And the third thing that's going to surprise me is that I'm there. Samuel Morse. I think it was Samuel Morse. And again, when we get to heaven, it will be when, when God judges the wicked, it will not be because we have some kind of familiar relationship with them. It's because their wickedness is before a holy and righteous God. The, the responsibility from everybody, from Adam and Eve, all the way till the very last person that ever lives their responsibility is to know God. And what does the Bible say? Seek after God and you will find me. So this is why we pass out the brochures. That's why we tell other people because it's not our responsibility to save them. It's our responsibility to simply get the message out. That's why we have missionaries. And when you, the missionary goes out and he tells the story and he tells the good news, if, if we supported missionaries for 10, 15, 20, 30 years and only one person came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in Japan where Brother Ken Taylor's at, it, was it worth it? Absolutely. What if it was two? Does it make a difference whether it's two or 200 or 2,000 or 20,000? Absolutely not. Because God is the one that knows all things. He's the one that is making the decision. He's the one that is calling to himself. Revelation chapter 5. We're going to look at this Lord willing next Sunday. But the Bible says that there are going to be some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who will be gathered around the throne. Do we know who they are? No, we don't. We just know they're going to be there. And it may be that, that the Lord Jesus Christ will not return until that last tribe is reached. Until that last people group, until that last language, whatever it may be. But God is still sovereign. And God will be right in his judgment and he will be right to pour out his wrath upon all who rejected him. I mean, uh, look at the religions that we've talked about. Catholicism, LDS, you can do, do, do and don't, don't, don't and, and it's not going to save you. And they continue to make more rules. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, the, the Vatican constantly comes out with new rules for the faithful to be able to follow. And what does biblical Christianity say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And everybody says, oh, that's just too easy. 
Why? Because they want to be able to have something more so that when they stand before God, they think they will be able to contribute something. And that's why God saved them. I believe, I believe at, at the end of time, we will be there. We will see those people judged. Because you just want to say, why? Why would you think that? You know? Why did we think that before we came to faith? We lived the same way. It's true. But God in his mercy and his grace, he continues to, to pour out his blessings. And, and, and in his sovereign will, he allows us to hear the gospel, brings the Holy Spirit to the, or the Holy Spirit comes and brings us to a point where we acknowledge who he is, our need of a savior, and we repent and confess our sins. But why us? We don't know. It can only be because of the glory of God. Which is why it also should, you know, down through the years, Baptist churches in particular have done more in regards to sending missionaries and being missionary sending organizations and churches down through the last several centuries probably than any other any other denomination. And I think that because we understand, especially those older churches, those older pastors, men like Charles Spurgeon from the 1800s or John Gill from the 1700s, because they truly understood the sovereign nature of God, I believe that it caused them to be willing to send others to the foreign field so that they might tell others the good news. I mean, that's what it is. It's good news. That's, that's all we've got to offer. I mean, go to South America, and you will find today that the people who are there, they still live in fear, but yet they've got religion. They've got God. He sits up on a wall. He's still on a cross. He's in the arms of his mother Mary, and they're still on their way to hell. And yet we sit here, having heard the good news, Romans chapter 10, and now that we have heard the good news, what are we going to do with it? Because if our relationship is right with God, then we should have a desire to go out and to be able to share that with others. The Great Commission. Any other questions? Or comments? You know, when you, when, and, I, and I mentioned this this morning, when you go to the foreign field, pretty much anywhere outside of America, but particularly in a third world country, and you go with this wonderful message that Jesus Christ forgives sins, people don't line up to hear the truth. They really don't want to hear it. And the reason is because they are content, not happy, but they are content living the way that they are living. If they can compare themselves to somebody else, that's half the battle. But as you said in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, they are without excuse. You wouldn't be able to go, no matter where you're at, 
you can go out and even in creation, you can see the hand of God at work. You can see. And so when they stand before God and always going to be able to say, well, that missionary didn't come and give me the gospel. And that's hard for us to accept from a human perspective. Because we would like to be able to believe, and there are some who believe this, and it's called universalism. They believe eventually that everybody's going to have the opportunity to be able to hear the gospel, and everybody's eventually going to get saved, and we're all going to be together as one big happy family. Not true. Matthew chapter 7 is very clear that the broad way to destruction, there are many who are on that road. You don't have to try to find that road. You're born on that road. But the way to eternal life is a singular entry. You go in one at a time into the presence of God. You have to have that direct personal relationship with Him. Debbie? So even though you're born of atheist parents, mm-hmm. uh, those children are still responsible. We're all, res- we're all responsible. Uh, when, when, yeah. Well, he, here's, here's one of the, the, the questions you, ha- you can ask yourself is this. Regardless of whether parents are Hindu, Muslim, Christian, or whatever, uh, my, parents, my parents are Christian. That didn't make me saved. I, I'm, I'm not saved or uh, I, am, I am not either in the camp of being saved or not being saved because of who my parents are. I'm saved based on whether I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a better chance. So, not necessarily. Not, not necessarily. There are there are a lot of people. In fact, I believe when we look at the the apostasy that is coming in Second Thessalonians chapter two, that apostasy, that word that is there, he is talking about a, a, a division and apostasy that is within the church. The apostasy is not from, he's not talking about the Catholics or the LDS or the Hindus or the Muslims. When Paul is writing and he says, there's a day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and the day of the Lord will not come except first there come an apostasy or there come a falling away. That's a falling away within the church. Which we've had for how many years? Sure. Well, what is, what is Jesus... What, what does Jesus say in regards to those, I believe one of the saddest verses in the entire scripture is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. But, 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 Lord, 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 we did all of these things. We did it in your name. We did this, we did that. And he's going to say, sorry, I never knew you. You didn't have a personal relationship with me. I mean, can you imagine people who are and this is why it is important, why Paul tells us repeatedly, examine yourself whether you're of the faith or not. If, if people are sitting there and they're content and there's no changes, there's no love for the Lord, there's no love for his word, there's no love for his church, there's no love for the brothers and sisters, there's more of a love for sin than there is, go to 1 John. What does 1 John tell you that your spiritual condition actually is? Are you a believer or a non-believer? You're a non-believer. Now, I believe that to whom much is given, much is required. And I believe there's a principle that is found there. We who have more knowledge in regards to the scripture, we have the word of God. I believe that we are held to account for what we know and what we have available to us. But it doesn't change the end result. Again, it boils down to do I have a relationship with God or not? 
because God is not the father of all. He's only the father of those who come to faith in his son. And it is a painful thing to realize, especially if we look back and we see family or we've done genealogy or we've done whatever and we've got people who ha have never, never to our knowledge expressed any faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What about them? They're in the same position I'm in. We have to know that we have eternal life. And eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. Again, 1 John. Did you have something, Sister Lynette? Brother Jerry? Um, yeah? Fascinating to learn when Paul was here as a journey that many of the Hegels um, and Kant and not Kant, but uh, Marx and Engels, they, their fathers were pastors. Yeah? And, and I mean that brings up something in, in regards to culture for example there is and, and I wish I could remember the name of the film but we've seen it it's kind of like a documentary but when the Jews and, and others the political prisoners because it wasn't just 6 million Jews that were killed during the Holocaust there were there were Romany gypsies there were uh, homosexuals there were political prisoners there were religious prisoners that were put to death um, I mean, the, the estimates are something like 10 to 12 million people who were killed just by Nazi Germany. And then, of course, Stalin killed another 25 to 30 million in his country as well. Um, but when those, when those concentration camps, when they, were, uh, when they were in full operation, most of those German villages had village churches. They were supposedly singing praises to God. They were singing the old hymns while the Jews were being burned to death in the crematories. How do you explain that? And I believe the reason is, and, and, and Christianity unfortunately has been used to justify a lot of things. For example, the slave trade. I believe the slave trade is wrong. I believe what has happened down through the centuries has happened because of the depravity of the heart of man. But when you get all of these things that are taking place, whether it's the killing or lynching or, or whatever, the problem that you have today, I was listening to a, a, a documentary today, and this, uh, the, this, this woman who was an African-American was complaining about the whiteness of America and all of the problems that she is supposedly, a very learned woman, a doctor, earned doctorate, was complaining because she didn't have the same privileges that white people had. And so she was trying to justify in this particular situation, she was justifying where she was and why the black, the black population or the African Americans do what they do. You know, we've been to where a lot of those people come from. They do the exact same thing because sin is sin no matter where you're at. And it doesn't, it doesn't change. The same injustices that take place, that took place here were taking place back then. The same injustices that have been taking place for the last six, 7,000 years of Earth's history, they're still taking place today. There are more slaves in the world today than there, than there ever have been in Earth's history. 
So what is the answer? Is the answer that we try to remove or eradicate slavery? Is it that we raise everybody to the same standard so that everybody has a bunch of money in their bank account? They all drive a nice car. They all have a nice house. They all have a nice job. Is that really what equality is? No. I mean, you go to places like Africa, uh, there's no equality with the money that is there. There is no, there is no equality with, the, with the, uh, the land that is owned. In Liberia, you've got 16 different tribal groups and they all hate each other's guts. They're all trying to get the other person's land. Nothing changes. The only thing that will change people is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Bible, we have to see that the Bible is cuts across all culture. It cuts across all society. I don't have to demean the word of God in some way. I don't have to change it. I don't have to adopt liberal or Marxist or, or Black Lives Matter or, or anything else. I don't have to adopt that in order to be able to show people that their problem is not my color of skin or your color of skin and to apologize for that because what we're doing then is we're apologizing for what God has done in making us the way we are. That never justifies sin. But if your biggest issue with me when I stand up and I'm preaching the gospel and all you can see is the color of my skin, then number one, I'm not preaching the true gospel because the true gospel should make you see beyond that and see the problem that you have before a holy and righteous God. People aren't going to be in heaven or hell because they're black or white or brown or green. They're going to be there again because of the relationship or the lack of a relationship that they have with God. This is the problem that you can find when you go into a number of churches of that persuasion because that's what they're hearing from the pulpit. They're hearing things like black liberation theology. They're hearing critical race theory. They're, they're hearing intersectionality and you have to adopt all these things so that these people come to Christ. No, they won't. There have been all kinds of formulas and theories and whatever it may be down through 2,000 years of church history and it hasn't brought one more person to Christ. Remember um, the great, the 1960s, William Johnson, the Great Society Movement? Is that, was that the name of that? I don't remember what the name of it was, but yeah. It was supposed to cure all the ails, all the criminality. It, it, hasn't, it hasn't done it because you can't, you can reform people to the point where you can make them in a better position. We found this, you go, to, go to Africa, for example. You can go into a village and you can provide one village a well, clean water, education, provide for their kids, pay for their school, pay for their clothing, pay for everything. And you go to the next village over, they've got the exact same sin problem. Because nothing changed. Those things don't make you a better person. What if we had, for example, if anybody here knows anything about EMPs, electromagnetic pulse bombs, if we had one go off here in America, you know what it would do? It would send us back to the dark ages. And you know what you would find? Is that the laws of the land, if given the chance... People who are unbelievers remove the stigma or the possibility of punishment and they will resort to the lowest common denominator. They will resort to killing each other. 
You have Liberia, which was one of the most advanced countries in all of West Africa. In fact, in probably most of Africa for a number of years. Uh, women there in the villages had washers and dryers. They had electricity. They had infrastructure. Missionaries used to go to Liberia to be able to go on rest and recuperation because it was a beautiful country. And in 14 years, they didn't have one bridge that had not been destroyed in the entire country. Nobody has electricity outside of the capital. When we were there, we had a generator. We could only run it four hours a day because gas was $7 a gallon. And you know what the problem was? These people were still fighting each other on a daily basis. I could get on the back of a motorcycle and go down to the uh, go down to the marketplace, and before you know it, they'd have knives and they'd be they pull out knives and and everything, be fighting each other because they couldn't get along with each other. Why? Because the standard was I'm better than you, and I'm going to prove it, even if I have to kill you. Anybody else? Well, it was a little different tonight. Thank you for listening. And um, we'll pray that, we pray that you will have a wonderful week in the Lord Jesus Christ and that uh, whatever happens, you will trust in his providence because God is still in control no matter what happens. Rain, shine, snow, or otherwise. We just... Hope it won't be snow quite yet. What? Yeah. Had a bucket of water. I'm cleaning my walls. I told you I was cleaning it. Oh. Wow. Well, enjoy it. Probably won't happen again for a yeah. long time. We need a blood test on that. So we've got right. We need some. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, sir. Yes. Chest pains and back pains and dehydrations, kidneys are shutting down. Like, Ooh. Wow. They've got three packages anymore already of IVs or whatever they call it. So he, he's in the hospital there in Artesia? Oh, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's pray for him. Anybody else? Let's pray. Father, we bring Tyler before you right now, knowing that he is in the hospital down in Pecos, that you would bring comfort to him. And we thank you that uh, even through the difficulties that they have experienced over the last couple of years in regards to the children, we know that you're still in control. We ask, Lord, that, that maybe through this that you would help them to understand and to see more of your grace and your mercy you give to the you allow the rain to fall on the just and the unjust and for that we are thankful we're thankful for the gospel message being given help us to be faithful witnesses wherever we are at in our lives knowing that judgment is coming even with our families help us lord to tell them the good news to share the wonderful story, story of Jesus and his love. Thank you, Lord, for our time tonight. And again, for those others who are sick, we ask that you would touch their bodies and bring healing. In Jesus' name, amen.